Well, we have a special guest speaker with us today. As you know, we are in our series. Um, our our year-long question is, what do I believe? And right now we're in a kind of sub-series in that that is God is dot, dot, dot. So what do I believe about who God is? And so I'm going to invite Craig to come on up. He has a really great message for us um, talking about God is our father. And Craig has been here before. He's a friend of Mark. He's a really great friend of Mark's. He's a great friend of Cheney Faith Center. But the other thing that I want to, to share with you is that Craig is a father in the faith. And so I encourage you to listen to what he has to say. I'm happy to be in the service a second time because I got four pages of notes the first time. And I'm looking forward to filling, filling some of those gaps. So thank you so much for being here, Craig. Thank you, Kate, for your kind words. It is fun to be here, a privilege to uh, be asked by Pastor Mark to be here, and I'm glad this morning to see uh, so many of you turn out, not only for the 8.30, but the 10.30 service. I was a little concerned about what the attendance might be when Mark asked me, because uh, he said, yeah, I'm going up to the men's retreat, man camp, and I'm taking the men of our church with me, and I'm thinking, so you're inviting me to be uh, the speaker at a women's Bible study. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Guys, thank you for being here. I feel the support and the love, and uh, uh, it's important. So thank you for that. I, I, love the, I love the question, what do I believe? I couldn't encourage you more. I mean, it's a passion of mine to, to encourage people to know what you believe, but more importantly, why you believe it. If you haven't just gone through that process some, somehow, some way over the years, I encourage you to do that. Not... Don't, don't believe stuff because somebody told you. Believe because you believe and for reasons that make sense to you, for reasons that are heartfelt and genuine, authentic. So if, if you have, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I just want to encourage you, really go through the process. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? One of the reasons that's important is, of course, because it's foundational to our faith. But another reason is because our beliefs are where our lives really originate. When we have a belief, then that's something we think about and our thoughts begin to evolve around that or develop around that belief. And then that affects our attitudes and eventually our actions. And then that core belief ends up resulting in habits and a lifestyle. And ultimately that core belief ends up determining our eternity. So it's not just a list of doctrines. It's like, well, I believe this. Yep, check, check. Oh, I'm not so sure I believe that one. We'll skip it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the, the things that you know in the heart, the, the things that you know down deep inside, the things that you have such strong convictions about, nobody will ever convince you otherwise. Those are the things we're talking about. Know what you believe and why you believe it. And I believe God is my Father. That's our focus and emphasis this morning. And um, for me, that's a big deal. When I was 15, I wasn't yet a Christian, and my father walked out of my life. He woke me up one morning before school. He was on his way to work. He said, I'm going to work today, and I won't be home. I'm leaving your mother. And I was, uh, of the three of us boys, the closest to my dad. I, I was his favorite. My brothers will tell you that. And, um, and the idea that he was just not going to be in my life anymore was just, it floored me. I cried. Uh, I began to act out in the years that followed. And at age 19, I came to Christ. And one of the first things Jesus started to do was to address that wound in my life. And I began to discover that God is a wonderful father. And he's a faithful father. And he's a father who won't 
abandon me. He's a father who won't walk out of my life. He's a father who won't betray me. He's a father who loves me and who will always love me. And he loves me unconditionally. And I just began to revel in this newfound relationship with my father in heaven. And, and for many of you, you've gone through a similar process. Maybe, maybe your father was wonderful and you didn't have to go through those kinds of challenges. I'm happy for you. Uh, that's not everybody's experience. But let me say, no matter how wonderful your father was, our father in heaven, he's characterized by all the best traits in any of our fathers, but only infinitely more so. And he's not characterized by any of the negative traits or characteristics that we experienced in our earthly fathers. But here's what we're going to do this morning. We're not going to focus on what it means for me, for him to be my father. We're going to focus on the heart of our father that is so big, it doesn't just include you and me. It has room for a lot of people who aren't yet part of his family and who don't yet call him father. That's going to be our focus this morning. In other words, everyone, it's not all about me. And it's not all about you. God's heart is 100% for you, but his heart is also 100% for a whole lot of other people who have not yet come to faith in Christ. And part of how I uh, think about this subject and part of what has been the springboard for this morning's message comes from a verse that's been particularly meaningful and instructive to me over the years. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, referring to Jesus, he, the Father, gave the right to become children of God. All who believed him and accepted him. By the way, b believing in him is not enough. You need to be a believer and a receiver. But the thing that really stands out to me in this verse is that it says he gave those people the right, word in the Greek means authority, the authority to become children of God. What does that tell me? We're not all children of God. Not everyone is a child of God. Only those who accept Jesus are given this privilege. Now, I understand we're all God's children by creation. He created Adam and Eve, gave them the ability to be fruitful, multiply, and here we are, right? I, I understand that, but we're not all children of God by relationship, and therefore we're not all headed to an eternity with our Heavenly Father as a part of His forever family. And I don't know about you, but, but that makes me pause. It makes me think. That makes me realize that at any place I find myself with any group of people that I am with, in that environment, there are only two kinds of people. Now, we like to think of people as younger and older, uh, this ethnicity, that ethnicity. They speak this language. They speak that language. They have this education or that education. They have this background or that background. We have lots of ways of distinguishing people. When, but when God looks at planet Earth and sees all seven plus billion of us on the planet, he sees two kinds of people. People that know him and people that don't. People that have been given the right, the authority to become his children and people who haven't yet. Now that to me is challenging, but also powerfully compelling and inspiring to, to do something with that, to do something about that. And one of the first things I, I, I remember working through as a brand new Christian was, well, God, if that's true, if this verse is how it is, and I believe it because you said it, 
then what about all those other people? Don't you care about them? Absolutely he does. Let's take a look at another verse that captures that idea. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved. All those people that aren't yet his kids, he wants them to be his kids. He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. This is the heart of the Father. This is the heart that Jesus was, was trying to help us understand that, that is the Father's heart, the reason Jesus was sent. In Luke chapter 15, you can read it at a later time, but Jesus tells the parable of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one is lost. And in that parable, he says, the shepherd will leave the 99 to go pursue the one that is lost so that the one can be joined together with the 99 and the result would be a great celebration. And so it is, it says, the angels of heaven rejoice when even one sinner comes to repentance. It's a party in heaven when people make that choice to accept him, to, to believe, but also to receive Jesus. And in the process, some powerful things happened that, well, I don't know about you, but when I first gave my heart to Christ, I had no idea what was taking place. But I later discovered as I read God's word that I was transferred in that moment of faith, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear son, from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven, as an enemy of God to a friend of God. I mean, the, the transition, the, the transformation was compelling and life-changing for me. And, and so it is for everyone, whether they realize it in the moment or not. It's why Jesus came. We know that from places like this, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. The Father's heart was so full of love for those that weren't yet a part of his family, for all of us so that we could be a part of his family, that he sends Jesus. And Jesus says this about himself. I came to seek and save those who were lost. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. I'm not here to have people cater to me. I'm here to provide a way of salvation for people. It's the purpose for which he came, and it is a reminder that people are in fact lost and do need, they need to be, they need to be saved because they really are lost. I don't know about you, but when I start to think about that in real terms, when I think about my family, my friends, even people in the church who sit there but don't necessarily know the Lord. I hope that's not you sitting here today or watching on the live stream, but Often people sit in church for a long time before they realize they need to take that step of receiving Christ into their heart. I knew a pastor once years ago who was a pastor for years and then he got saved. Believing was one thing. And because he believed, he taught other people to believe, but to receive, to, to have a relationship with him. Jesus in his prayer in John 17 says this to the Father, this is eternal life that they would know you, Father, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. He also says in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, many will come to me in that day and say, we did this and that in your name, and I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. This, this is about, we're talking about a relationship with the living God, our creator and savior, who wants a forever relationship with us. He loves us so much, he delights in us, but we've got to make the choice to choose him, to receive him. Let me give you something to think about, something to do sometime. When you're in a, a group, uh, maybe at a theater or a community event or like I was when I was on an airplane recently, and, and just look around at the people that you're there with. 
I was on the plane and I was sitting toward the back and I was looking at all the different people and uh, they were younger and older. There were people with families and people that seemed to be traveling alone. There were different skin colors. There were even some different languages being spoken on the plane. And I thought about all those people and I thought, How, what does God see? And I remembered what I'd shared with you. God sees two kinds of people on that plane. People that know him and people that don't yet. And I thought, if this plane goes down, and I'm not terribly worried about that, but it crosses my mind, probably crosses yours too when you fly. If this plane goes down, I'm not worried about where I go. I just hope I die instantly and don't have to suffer, right? That's kind of my thought process. But I thought about the other people on the plane. I thought, well, if this plane goes down and we all die, where are some of them going to spend eternity? And I realized, for some of them, that was not an acceptable outcome. I don't want them to spend eternity in hell, and neither does my father. His heart is big enough to include them as well as me. Because all of this is real and true and should be compelling to our hearts, it, it is the, the foundation not only for Jesus' coming, but for the assignment that he gave to the church. In Matthew 28, verse 19, he says this to his disciples after his resurrection. He's on his way to the Father's right hand in heaven where he's ascended. And, and before he goes, he gives them this instruction. Therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to go everywhere in the world, every tribe, every remote place, every mountain village, every densely populated city in the country, in towns, everywhere, all over the planet, because all seven plus billion of us are in the Father's heart. He wants a relationship with everybody, everywhere, in every nation. And he says to those who are already his followers, the disciples then, and you and me, he wants us to go and make disciples everywhere we can. In other words, to put it this way, God intends us to be on mission with Jesus to accomplish the Father's will in seeking and saving those who are still lost and not yet a part of his forever family. Now, that was a, a big deal for me as I was transitioning out of my lead pastor role at the church in the valley, uh, formerly Mirabu Chapel, now Mission Church. Uh, as I was approaching retirement, I was thinking through my life. Like, I've been a pastor for so long, and now I'm not going to be one on staff. Who am I? What am I? And I began to realize that I was still that same person who, be, long before I was ever a pastor or ever aspired to be a pastor, I was just that guy at age 19 who was making a mess of his life that Jesus reached out and grabbed a hold of. He intersected my life got in my face, got in my heart, and began to transform me and turn me around. And I was just somebody at age 19 who wanted to follow Jesus and tell everybody that I could about him because I was that enthusiastic about my newfound relationship with him. And I thought to myself, and then he gave me the assignment to pastor this church, that church, and the other church. Now I'm retiring. But the original truth, the original sense of identity as one of his kids hasn't changed a bit. I'm going to be 71 in June, and a few years ago, somebody, as I was approaching retirement, talking about it, they said this, said, if you're not dead, you're not done. When it comes to serving Jesus, being on the mission with Jesus, I may have shared that here with this church before, but I, I, I really took that to heart, and I thought, retirement, yeah, I can retire from an assignment, a, a role uh, on staff of a church, but I don't retire from being on mission with Jesus, and so I began to uh, give my time to serve Think Small, an organization that I've actually uh, shared about here at this church. Mark's invited me to do that. I know this church has been supportive of Think Small for a long time. And uh, I happen to know the, the founders were good friends. And I'm very excited about what God is doing with that particular ministry as uh, kids are coming to Christ and adults are coming to Christ all over the world now. 
When they started in Thailand, Gary and Paula, the founders, had a vision to reach a million kids for Christ. On December 29th, just a few weeks ago, on December 29th, Think Small reached the one million mark. And not just a million kids, it was a million people, so we'll hit a million kids later this year, it was a million people reached for Christ, 160,000 of which are adults that get reached in the process. Because when you reach out to kids and try to help them be safe from human trafficking, drugs and alcohol and those kinds of things, adults pay attention and siblings pay attention and whole families are reached and helped and churches got, we've planted 30 churches over the decade and a half now. We have it was one team, Gary and Paula, started out in Thailand 15 or 16 years ago. There are 30 teams now in about 12 different countries and more in the pipeline. And these teams are doing outreaches and, and um, workshops and stuff for kids and parents and helping churches to do a great job of, of rescuing kids out of some very real dangers that threaten them. And I thought, you know what, as long as I can do what I can do, if I can help that cause, I told Gary, I said, when I retire, I'll just, whatever you need me to do, I'll, I'll help you. So I'm serving on the board, I'm the treasurer. I've been on Zoom calls uh, two or three times a week now for months and months and months, uh, training teams in various places, traveled to Uruguay uh, a few months ago, going to Argentina later this year. I realized that Jesus still had stuff for me to do, and he still has stuff for you to do. I see a few people that might be somewhere around my age, and, uh, and uh, if you think for a minute that what God wants you to do is just sit on the sidelines and cheer for other people, guess again, he has stuff for you to do. One of my life verses is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, it's why I say what I do. For we are his workmanship. Another translation says we are his handiwork. Another translation says we are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, the script is already written. The stage is already set. God's done everything he needs to do. He just wants you to walk with him onto the stage of these good works, which he's prepared beforehand for you to be a part of. And that's how I understand what I'm doing right now, being here to speak or working with Think Small, whatever it is God has for me to do. And he has the same kinds of things for you to do that are a partnership with him, good works, which he has prepared beforehand to do things I could never do to reach people nobody else could necessarily reach, to have conversations and life impact that nobody else would necessarily be able to have. I hope you believe that and understand that to be the case. Now, we're going to take a look at a passage in John uh, chapter 4. It's a familiar passage probably to some of you because it contains the story of the woman at the well. Jesus and the disciples are on the road. They're traveling. And they're passing through Samaria, the scripture tells us. And as they're passing through Samaria, they're hungry and they're thirsty. And the scripture tells us Jesus sits down by the well. And there's a woman there getting water. She lives in the nearby village, but she's out doing what often women did, uh, getting water from the well to take it back into town. And uh, they begin to talk about water and thirst. And Jesus has a conversation with her about living water and leads her to faith in him as the Messiah. And, and it's a powerful conversation. Now, while this is happening, the disciples are gone. When they got this far, Jesus sits down at the well and he says, Hey, guys, not only are we thirsty, and there's some water here to be had, but we're hungry, so go into town and get some food. 
And so they, they did. They, they went into town and they scouted out the local Wendy's or the, you know, the, the Burger King or the, you know, whatever it was that was there. And, and they got in the drive-thru, you know, like you do. And they placed their order and they got some food for themselves and also to bring back to Jesus. Now, after they'd done that, they head back out to the well. And that's where we pick up the story. John chapter 4, starting with verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? It's always a good idea not to question Jesus. And the disciples were smart enough, at least on this occasion, to know not to do that. But they're flabbergasted. Why? Well, because of their own prejudice. In the culture of the, the Jewish nation at the time, and it had been true for generations, they were very proud, very self-righteous, and looked down on non-Jews, or Gentiles as they called them. And Samaritans were kind of this hybrid, this mixed race between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. Some intermarrying had happened, and this whole culture developed, called the, and this whole region was, was settled called Samaria. And the Samaritans were, were these people that Jews absolutely detested. They looked down on them, didn't respect them, wouldn't talk to them, didn't want to be around them, and tried to avoid them at all costs. It's amazing that Jesus, but it was intentional on his part, it's amazing that he was even going through Samaria to begin with, but the disciples can't understand why he's talking to a Samaritan, and they cannot understand why he's talking to a woman, which never happened in either culture. In public, a man would not speak to a woman, another woman who was not his wife or daughter. So this amazing scene is happening. The disciples are like, whoa, what's going on? And as they arrive, verse 28 tells us, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. Why? Because she's excited about this newfound relationship with Jesus, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, that's not what happened. She's saying that because Jesus had enough supernatural insight to, even though just, he just met her, to be able to say to her, hey, I know you've had five husbands and the man you're living with right now is not even your husband. And she was taken aback by that. And there's a whole story there. But, but she's so impressed with this uh, person and the conversation that she's had with this person. She comes back into town and she's asked this question. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Samaritans were looking for the Messiah just like the Jews. So the people, verse 30, came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Hey, we brought you back a sack lunch. We got you a happy meal here. We, got, we have something for you to eat. You need to eat. And Jesus replied in verse 32, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Now, when he said that, the disciples are like scratching their head. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And what Jesus is talking about is something we need to understand here. If we're going to be motivated and inspired to be on mission with Jesus for the entirety of our life, we need to understand that being on mission with Jesus means having satisfying food for your soul. I love to eat with the best of them. And in my day, I could hold my own at a, at a, a buffet and all you can eat place. Uh, they usually lost money on me, and especially me and my three teenage boys when they were growing. Uh, we went into a place and, you know, we got our money's worth, let's just say that. And even at this age when I shouldn't be eating as much, I can still hold my own at the table. And, and a family event when there's lots of food. I love to eat, right? So no issue there. And food can be very satisfying 
for the body. But Jesus is talking about something much more profound. He says, doing the will of my father, finishing the work he sent me to do, which is what my conversation with this woman was all about. That's more satisfying than food could ever be. And I hope you know what I'm talking about. It, it's that sense that you have when you know God's used you. Have you ever had that sense? You had a conversation with somebody and you walk away and you go, man, oh man, what was happening there? I was saying things I didn't even plan to say, but it was obvious that God was using me and impacting this person's life. And it's like, wow, that feels good. That's the kind of stuff I know I meant to do. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't, I hope and pray that sometime soon you'll have that experience. But you have it every, every once in a while. And sometimes you don't even realize God's using you. I'm not talking about that. But that sense of satisfaction is like I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to do. On that note, I know that Mark and Kate Postuma are where they're supposed to be doing what they're supposed to do. And that's been true for a lot of years. And you as a church are privileged to have such high quality leaders leading you and committed to you like the two of them. And the $50 that you promised me? I take cash only. But because we're on the live stream or they're going to be watching it on the live stream, the price just went up to double. It's $100 now. Satisfying food for your soul. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, I hear you. I don't really know a lot about having that feeling and that sense of satisfaction, but, but I want to, to do what God wants for me. And I know he has a ministry for me. I just don't know what it is. I can't tell you how many times I've heard something similar to that from, some, from, from people that are, are kind of, they're feeling like their life is sort of on pause or they're in anticipation of something really good, but it's not yet real and true in their lives. Listen to me. This idea that someday I'll have a ministry, I just don't know what it is, is not how God operates. There are seven days in the week, and someday is not one of them. The time to get busy and be on mission with Jesus is today, Sunday, and tomorrow, Monday, and Tuesday, and every day. There are opportunities to be used by him to make a difference in somebody else's life, and we just are needing to learn to look for them and partner with Jesus in those moments and make a difference in somebody's life. And you can do it with the people that are already in your life. You don't need a title. You don't need a base of financial support. You don't need somebody to acknowledge you. It's the people that live under your roof. It's the people that you live next door to or in the neighborhood with. They're the people that you go to work with or go to school with. They're the people that are already in your life. And Jesus wants to use you to make a difference in their life. And if you'll ask him to do that, if you'll say, here I am, use me, he will. Let's go back to our story. So John 4, verse 35, he says, you know the saying, and he quotes a common saying of the day, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up. Lift up your eyes, another translation says. Another one says, open your eyes and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. In other words, guys, you're not seeing what I see. Let's talk in terms of agriculture, guys. You know the saying, one plants, another harvest. Well, I'm telling you, the harvest is ready. Get the combine. Let's go. Let's bring in the, the harvest that's ready to be harvested. And that brings us to principle number two. And that is that being on mission with Jesus means seeing things with spiritual eyes. See, what, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the moment. He's talking about the scenario they're in. 
woman at the well. Guys, you saw a woman. And unfortunately, you looked down your nose at her because she was a woman and because she was a Samaritan. And if it had been up to you, we would have just kept on moving right on through Samaria until we got where we're going. But guys, you need to see with spiritual eyes, see what I see. I saw a woman in whose heart God was already working, whose heart was empty for lack of a relationship with me, and with whom I had a conversation that brought her to faith in me. But that's only the beginning, as we'll discover as we read on in this story. The guys were just seeing with natural eyes, cultural eyes, predictable eyes, and Jesus is trying to get them to see with spiritual eyes. Open up your eyes, lift up your head, look around, look around. I would encourage you today, open up your eyes, look around, and if you're not sure how that works or what that means, ask Jesus to help you to open up your eyes and look around at the people and situations in your life and the opportunities that are there to make a difference that maybe you hadn't even realized were there up till now. Let, let me illustrate with an experience that I had. I went on a cruise uh, some years ago. Anybody been on a cruise? Cruises are fun. Uh, you younger people think oh, that's what old people do. Well, you're probably right in some ways. Um, but they can be really fun. Lots of young people do cruises as well. Anyway, um, in fact, we just got back from a cruise, my wife and I, a few weeks ago. We went down to the Southern Caribbean on a cruise that was the beginning of our celebration over the next several months. We're celebrating 50 years of being married June 12th later this year. Thank you. But the cruise that I'm talking about was one a few years ago. We were at a port of call where you get off the ship and a lot of people, you know, pay for excursions. And when you get off the ship, if you just want to walk around at that port of call, there are always people that, that are there trying to sell you an excursion, right? They hawk you. It's like, hey, come over here. We've got a deal for you. No, you come over here. And this particular port of call, it was a Spanish-speaking country, and, and they were speaking Spanish, but some of them knew some English, but it was pretty, you know, broken English with a Spanish accent. And I told my... Uh, Two friends, a couple that we were traveling with, and my wife, I said, just keep your head down and let's just get through this. Because they were like kiosks on both sides, and we just had to go right down through the middle. And I said, just don't engage them. Just ignore them. Just, you have to do it. Just put your head down. And my wife and my two friends successfully did that, and they were just on the other side of this long string of kiosks. And I was almost home free. <laughs> and this lady at this one kiosk, she was probably about 35, I would guess, she got my attention somehow. I don't even know what it was. I look back on it, and I know exactly what it was. It was Jesus. But in the moment, I had no idea really what was drawing me in. But she was talking to me, and I was engaging with her. And I speak some Spanish, so I spoke some Spanish to her, which she loved. And then we went to English and Spanish and back and forth. And it's like, hey, listen, lady, I, you know, it's nice to talk with you, but I'm not buying an excursion. Well, that's what I said at the beginning of the conversation. But by the time she was done with me, I was convinced that her excursion really was a good deal. So I invited my wife and friends over and said, <laughs> we're going to do this thing. How much does it cost? And... Well, we didn't have enough money. My friends had some money, but we didn't have enough for all of it. And I told the lady, I said, well, I've got my credit cards back in the ship, but it's going to be a while if, you know, it's a long walk back there. Um, but we don't have enough cash. She said, uh, well, I suppose I could let you go. I said, listen, if you just let us go, because if I go back, we're going to miss the start. They're going to leave without us. The group is going to be gone. I said, if you'll just let us go, I'll pay you when I get back. Now, by this time, we had enough of a connection. She said, okay, and off we went. 
We had a good time when the excursion came back. It was near the time, about half an hour from when we had to be on the ship so it didn't leave without us. We came back, and she was still there at the kiosk, and I walked up to her, and I said, hey, we had a good time. Thank you for that. It was, it was a great experience, and uh, I'm here just to let you know. I'm going to walk on by you, but I'm going to go to the ship and get my money, and I'll come back and pay you. And she just stared at me, and she said, when I told you it was okay not to pay the full amount, she said, I thought I'd never see you again. And I said, really? I said, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus, and I'm a man of my word, and he wants me to be honest, and so when I said I would pay you. That's exactly what I was going to do. And so I'm going to go to the ship and, and get the money. And so we had a conversation, almost made me late getting back onto the ship. We had a conversation that ensued. She said, so you're a believer? And I yeah. And we went to Spanish for a little while and back to English and come to find out she had known the Lord at one point. She'd walked away from the Lord and it was a complete divine appointment for me to be talking to her about Jesus in that moment to encourage her and help her to start making her way back to her relationship with Jesus. I prayed for Maria for weeks afterwards. I did get to the ship, got my money, I had to run literally, and then came back, paid her and then ran back to the ship just before they closed the door because they'll leave without you. And if you've ever cruised, you know that. What we saw were just a bunch of people hawking us, wanting our tourist dollars, trying to sell us an excursion. That's what we saw with our natural eyes. When my spiritual eyes started to open and I began to lift my head and look around, I realized, oh, there's a Jesus moment here. I'm supposed to be on vacation. Well, I am on vacation, having a good time. But I'm available to Jesus to be used, and I was in a moment that I did not ever expect to be the case. You have similar opportunities that you don't even realize are there. If you just lift up your head, open your eyes, look around, say, Jesus, help me to see what you see. Because he knows whose hearts he's been working in. He knows the people that are asking questions. He knows who's desperate. He knows things about people that are in your life you don't even know that are true in their life until you strike up a conversation with them. And then you think, oh, now I get it. Jesus wanted me to have this conversation with you because your heart's already been cultivated. He's already been speaking to you. Being on mission with Jesus means seeing things with spiritual eyes. Back to our story, John chapter 4, verse 36. Jesus goes on, he says to his disciples, this teaching moment, the harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? He's talking in agricultural terms, and he's basically saying, you know, that, that the planter of the seeds in people's lives and you, the harvesters, and anybody else who harvests, um, have cause to rejoice because you're paid good wages. And the fruit, he says this about the harvesters, the fruit they harvest is what? People brought to eternal life. See, the fruit that, that God has in mind is people getting saved. It's people coming to faith in Christ. It's people being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, of people going from one eternity as their destiny to another eternity. It's, it's, it's this transformation of life that God, the Father, whose heart is huge, wants for everybody. He doesn't want anybody to miss out on this. And it's that that Jesus is talking about here. He says, the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. That brings me to principle number three, that being on mission with Jesus means helping people find and follow him. I don't think I mentioned how many principles there are that we're going to talk about here today. Uh, 22 principles. And 
Kate said, don't worry, it's the second of our two services, so we can go as long as we want. No, I just have four principles, just teasing you. Principle number three, being on mission with Jesus means helping people find and follow him. Now, I'm going to... I'm going to run the risk of getting out my soapbox and engaging in a little bit of a rant here, but, but I am passionate about what I'm about to say. And that is this, that I've made an observation in recent years of the church in general in America. I don't know how true it is in other parts of the world, but in America, the, the, the American church at large, and about my own ministry in the last probably couple of decades of, of my ministry, last decade for sure, um, and when I say stuff like this, I have to always say this, present company excluded. So Cheney Face Center is not included in what I'm about to say because Cheney Face Center is amazing. But the church in general, I think, has drifted away from the priority of evangelism. Not that people aren't getting saved, not that we don't preach the gospel. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about my own ministry in the last couple of decades. But, but we've lost some of what in the history of the church has been a, a greater passion and priority, a fervency and urgency and, and an authenticity and enthusiasm about sharing our faith in Jesus and wanting other people to know him like we know him. There, there's something that's, that's gotten a little um, blurred, I think, in the process. I, I often hear um, pastors, and, and I was one of them for many years, we'll, we'll talk about a message series or something. Here's how, this is what Jesus wants to do. This is, this is the Father that you have in heaven, and here's how he wants to bless you, and here's what he wants to do on your behalf. And all that stuff is true. It is true, it, and it's good and important, and I needed to hear it just like we all need to hear it. But, but in the emphasis on that, I think we've lost sight of the priority of the church, what was the one assignment Jesus gave the church almost 2,000 years ago? It's not changed. Go make disciples. And disciples first have to be converts. You don't make a disciple of somebody that doesn't know Jesus. That's not a disciple. They have to get saved first. Starts with that. Now, getting saved isn't enough. It's the starting point. But it's a necessary, indispensable starting point. And I think we've shifted a little bit away from that. I, I often have heard people say this about what the gospel means, what Jesus is all about. Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. Now, that's true. Jesus does make your life better, a lot better. And he does make you better at life. But Jesus didn't come just to make our life better and make us better at life. He came, came to seek and save the lost. And if we don't keep the lost in mind, the people who aren't here yet, the people that aren't part of his family yet, those people in nations and places all over the world and all over Spokane, if we don't keep that in mind, we've missed some of what's important. Have you, have you seen the movie, The Jesus Revolution? Anybody seen the movie? No? Oh, okay. Raised hands, nod heads, something. Are you out there? Um, the reason I ask is because I haven't seen it. No, I, I ask because um, I'm going to see it with my wife, but I'm not in a real hurry to see it simply because actually I was in it. Not in the movie, but in the event the movie is about. It's about Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel, the original uh, start of the Calvary, Calvary Chapel movement. Well, Chuck was the individual God used to lead me to Christ. He was my first pastor. Lonnie Frisbee was on staff of the church at that time. I was on the beach in Southern California with about 200 other individuals getting water baptized. Memorable Saturday afternoon. I, 
I was a part of what God was doing in those days, and that's, those are my roots, right? So that's, that's important and precious to me. My wife and I were talking about it because we have lots of friends that have seen it, and they, they're very excited, and they always ask me questions because they know that I was there in those days. And, and my wife and I have talked about what was true then that's not true today because there was a revolution. Thousands and thousands of people, many of the pastors that I know, some of which are now retiring like I have been, we all came to Christ around the same time, late 60s, early 70s, and my wife did, I did. Anyway, so what was true? Well, one of the things that characterized that movement was this genuine, authentic enthusiasm for sharing one's faith. Just, I love Jesus, and I want you to know him. I'm excited about who he's become in my life. Can I share him with you? Can I introduce him to you? Can, can I help you with any questions you might have? I don't have any answers, but I got a story. I mean, when I was a brand new Christian, man, I talked to everybody. I, I was, I'm sure I was obnoxious, but I talked to everybody that I, I could when I, when I could because I was that excited about Jesus. And that was happening on such a large scale. There was this groundswell of evangelism. It wasn't a methodology or a church program or, you know, a how-to to reach people for Christ. No, no, no harm with any of that, I suppose. But this was just something much more organic, much more visceral, much more authentic and genuine, just coming from people's hearts, most of whom were brand new Christians themselves. And it was sweeping at least up and down the West Coast, and I think it spread into other parts of the country and the world, ultimately. But, but I don't see a lot of that today. Now, this Asbury College revival that you've been hearing about, some of you know about that. It's great. I'm glad it's happening. I'm watching, hoping, praying that it evolves into a real groundswell of evangelism. Not that it hasn't resulted in some people coming to faith in Christ, but mostly what's been happening is that people that already are in the family are getting their relationship with the Father straightened out. And that's important, too. I understand that. But as I look at revivals over the course of the history of our nation, the ones that had the greatest impact were the ones that made a priority of evangelism. And I hope that the church can embrace what I'm talking about here today. The church at large can embrace it in a fresh way in days to come because we need it. The other thing about it is just the importance of, of helping people come to the place of actually making a decision. If you're in business and sales, you know what I'm talking about. When, when you can talk to somebody about the product you're selling or the service you're selling, and they can be excited about it and say, yeah, I'm going to go talk to my people. We'll have a meeting. We'll send you an email. We'll get back and forth. You can have all kinds of steps in the process, but until you have a signed contract, you haven't made the sale, and you don't get the commission. And it's like that with evangelism. We can talk to people about Jesus, and they're like, oh, I like what you're hearing. I'll be praying for you. Hey, come to this meeting. We've got this great Bible study. All that stuff's great and wonderful. It's part of the process. It is part of the process, but at some point, you've got to close the deal. So what's preventing you from accepting Christ right now? There's a question you could ask somebody. Like, what would it take for you to say yes to Jesus today? And we just aren't real good at that in a natural, authentic sort of way. Jesus, help us get better. All right, let's go on and finish our story up here because I don't want to keep you until 3 this afternoon. John chapter 4, verse 37, just a, a little bit more here. He says, you know the saying... One plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. What's he talking about? 
He's talking about what's going on right in that moment. Where did he send them? Into town to get lunch. What did they miss in town? An opportunity. They were getting into town, grab the food and get out as fast as you can. Keep your head down. It's like me and my friends on the cruise and the kiosk. Just keep your head down. Don't talk to anybody. Pay for the food. Get food. Let's get out of here. These are Samaritans. We don't want anything to do with them. And Jesus says, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. God's been working in those people's lives. Others had already done the work. Now you will get to gather the harvest. What's he talking about? He's talking about what's about to happen. Watch it. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him, Jesus, to stay in their village. Watch this. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they, the other villagers, said to the woman, now we believe Here it is, know what you believe and why you believe it. Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Jesus said, I sent you into town. There was a great harvest and you missed it. But in my sovereignty, I made sure that we ended up going back to town and you got to be a part of a whole village of people coming to faith in Christ, you got to harvest the fruit of people coming into eternal life, into an eternal relationship with Jesus. And it's fruit that you would have missed. It was a harvest that was ready, but you would have passed right by it because of your prejudice had you not had me to help you open up your spiritual eyes, look around and see the opportunity that was there all along. Jesus, of course, didn't miss the opportunity. And... He helped the disciples learn what we're talking about here today, including this final principle, principle number four, being on mission with Jesus means working as a team with others. And uh, we can elaborate on that at some other time, but I just want to point out the fact that the the disciples worked as a team together with Jesus, and that's always the, the primary partnership is with Jesus. We're on mission with him, partnering with him, because he does the saving. He knows where the harvest is. He's the one that leads. We... We're not that smart, right? So so we're in partnership with him, but we're also in partnership with other people. And I'm not just talking about here in the church, but it can start right here, joining a ministry team to, to serve together, shoulder to shoulder with other people to help people find and follow Jesus here at Cheney Faith Center. But it's even much larger than that because there's some people that you could partner with that you don't even know, but, but you... Um, are in relationship with somebody that they know that has been praying for them, that has been influencing them, and you can have a part in what God is doing in that person's life, and you don't even realize it, like the disciples that go into a village, a whole bunch of people they don't even know, and other people have been praying for them, other people have been working, obviously God was in, at work in their lives, preparing them for these two days, and the disciples got to just step into that. They just got to walk in that good work which God prepared beforehand for them to walk in. And there are things like that in your life and in my life and, and it's today and tomorrow and this week and when you go to work and when you go to school and when you get together with the neighbors and when you have that conversation or that email exchange or whatever it is, there are opportunities to be taken advantage of. And I hope and pray that you will pray this with me with respect to everything we've talked about here this morning. Just a very simple prayer. It's a prayer Isaiah prayed when he had a vision of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6. What did he say? Some of you know it. Here am I. 
send me. Here am I. Jesus, I want to be on mission with you. I'm not a Bible expert, but I've got a story. You changed my life, and I want you to change the lives of my friends and my family and my loved ones. So pray that with me, would you please? Father, we do ask that you would just create in us a, a fresh passion and enthusiasm about our relationship with you. It is amazing that we can have a relationship with the creator of the universe, that you would love us enough that your father's heart would be so big there'd be room for us and countless others as well. So Lord, give us a passion for just allowing the enthusiasm for our relationship with you to bubble over in our lives that we might share you with others and be involved with, Lord, whatever opportunities you present to us that people might, in fact, come to be a part of your forever family, that we would be a part of the harvest because the harvest is ready today and you want to use us to bring it in. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Craig. Today is the day of salvation, and as Craig was just praying, it kind of popped in my heart. I'm wondering if there's anyone here who would just say, you know what, um, Craig shared with us, there was a pastor who had not yet received and accepted Christ. So is there anyone here who would just say, you know what, what he's saying and resonated with me, and I'm not sure that I have said yes to Jesus. Would you just, and, and you want to, is there anyone here who would raise their hand with that? Okay, well, it's not because we didn't have the opportunity, right? Today's the day. That's awesome. All right, well, it's been a great day to be in church together as a family. Always remember that Jesus loves you very much, and so do Mark and I. Have a great week.